All right. Yes, thank you, guys. Uh, as, as Pastor Crit message, uh, said, we are called the mighty men. Uh, that's not something that we named ourselves. That actually comes from Second Samuel um, with David when he was choosing his mighty men. But yeah, you're going to hear from three different men. Um, just a little bit about what God has been teaching us. Um, and for me, you know, it's been about three months now um, since I found out that my three-year-old son, Emerson, uh, had a malignant tumor. Um, and I can honestly say that this has been the most difficult part of my life. Um, it's been the most heart-wrenching, um, the most hours lost of sleep, uh, the most tears shed of my life. Um, without a doubt, this is the most that I've suffered in my life. And, you know, a lot goes through your head when you find out that your son might have cancer. Um, from a healthcare standpoint, you start to look at things like, you know, what, what's the chances that this is metastatic? Um, What's the five-year survival rate of something like this? Um, what's the incidence? How many, out of how many kids does, does this happen? And from a spiritual aspect, you start to question God a little bit and say, you know, what's the purpose of my suffering in this, God? You know, why did you put our family through this? Um, you start to say, you know, God, is there some sort of outstanding sin that you're punishing me for in this? Um, and I think the thing that God has been teaching me through this time the most is how to be steadfast through suffering. You might be in your own season of suffering. You know, maybe it's not as serious as someone having cancer or a family member having cancer. But I know for some of you, that is the case. Uh, maybe for you, you're feeling a little bit alone right now as things are starting to open up again. People are starting to get their social lives going again. But you're just kind of at home and you haven't gotten to that, that point yet. Maybe for you, you're, you're not satisfied with where you are professionally or where you're at in your work and you're just like god why why do you have me in this place right now with this job that i really don't enjoy and i'm, I'm here to tell you to be steadfast through the suffering and the bible does shed a little bit of light on this or some of these thoughts on suffering or being steadfast through suffering so why don't we open up real fast to james chapter five james chapter five verses 10 and 11 James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11 says this. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. There's that word. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So remember, James, as a book... Um, it's very famous for chapter 1, verse 3, which says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So James, as a writer, as a book, is kind of like the expert, the mecca of steadfastness. And I really like this passage in particular because I like it when the New Testament writers kind of reference or give a shout-out to some of the Old Testament characters. And in this passage, James could have chosen any prophet to be an example of steadfastness. But he specifically chose Job, as you can see in that verse. Um, and I think, you know, when, when, the, when you read the verse, it literally states that when you understand the steadfastness that Job had, then you will see the purpose of the Lord. Now, this passage in James, we're not going to spend our time today in this passage. I wanted to actually look at Job and try to figure out some of the ways that he was being able to be steadfast. We're going to look at some of the discussions that he had with his three friends. And I am also going to introduce you 
to an Old Testament character that I bet you have never heard before. Maybe Pastor Chris has, but I don't think anyone else has. You can challenge me on that at the end. Um, but the bottom line is that I'm hoping that by the end of this, this message, you'll be able to see how Job was steadfast, how he, how he kind of worked through things, and also for us, how we can be able to be steadfast so that the purpose of the Lord, as the verse in James says, will be revealed to us. So let me go ahead and open this up in prayer real fast. God, um, we're here as your people, just um, humbled um, to learn from your word. And God, um, may you be just our rock in our steadfastness uh, through, through suffering. God, we pray that we'd be able to cling to you. God, would you use this time to teach us um, a little bit about your truth, about your promises, God, so that we um, can just continue to praise your name, even through the suffering. Um, yeah, God, would you use your prophet Job to be um, an example of that today? Praise things your name. Amen. Okay, so before we get started, I kind of wanted to give a little bit of a working definition of the word steadfastness. Uh, steadfastness is the quality of being resolutely firm and unwavering. Resolutely firm and unwavering. So for our purposes today, when we're looking at Job, we're going to see how he was firm and unwavering in his faith and trust in God. I think most of us are familiar with the story of Job. You know, he was a blessed man. He had a huge family, thousands of animals. Um, but in chapter 1 of Job, uh, God allows Satan to take all that away from him. And then pretty much from Job chapter 3 all the way to Job chapter 32, you've got this back and forth discussion between Job and his three quote-unquote friends. Um, their names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And the underlying question that the book is trying to answer is, 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 God just through, is God just through suffering? And if he is, how can we be steadfast through the suffering? So for our time today, what I want to do is I want to bring up three points on steadfastness uh, that was discussed between Job and his three friends, and then show you how Job addresses each one of these points and also exhorts us as believers to be steadfast through suffering, okay? So those three points is what I'm going to be talking about today. Let's start with the first one. And I, I purposely gave you guys a difficult one on the first one. So here it is. God is not capricious. God is not capricious. Anyone know what that means? Capricious. C-A-P-R-I-C-I-O-U-S. Um, it's definitely an SAT word. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard, but high schoolers no longer need to take the SATs to get into college. So we need to use these words or else it's just going to die. Um, <laughs> So what does capricious mean? Capricious. Let me give you four synonyms for capricious, okay? Arbitrary, fickle, random, or whimsical. Okay, so capricious means arbitrary, fickle, random, and whimsical. So what do I mean when I say that God is not capricious? What I mean is that he didn't just wake up one day and say, okay, Job, you're going to be the one to suffer today just because that's how I feel today. Um, you got to remember, God is omniscient. He has thoroughly thought out all his decisions. And his, his decision to allow Satan to make Job, Job suffer was not on whim. It wasn't arbitrary. It was not fickle or random or whimsical. But it's very clear that Job does not always feel that way. If you look at Job chapter 7, verse 20, um, you guys don't have to turn there, but Job chapter 7, verse 20 says, If I sin, what do I do to you, watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? 
So Job feels like he's being picked on. He's basically saying to God, you know, why are you punishing me for, be a, for being a sinner? How does that affect you, God, as God? Why am I all of a sudden a subject of your wrath? It's almost as if Job feels like God just said, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, Job, you're the one to suffer today. So why is it important for us to know that God is not capricious as we try to be steadfast through suffering? Well, for me, you know, when Emerson got his diagnosis of his tumor, um, one of the first things I did was I Googled what the incidence of that type of tumor is. Um, And basically, most studies would say that it's about one in every 100,000 children get this tumor that he's got. It's it's really rare. And in fact, um, because it's so rare, it's hard to kind of estimate the incidence of it. Some studies would actually say one in every two million kids get this type of tumor. Um, and in fact, our oncologist, when we met with her the first time, she said that pediatricians can just go through their whole career, you know, 30, 40 years of being a pediatrician without ever seeing a case like Emerson's. And of course, you know, for me, when I buy into the statistics, when I buy into the, what the world is telling me, you know, even if it's proven with scientific evidence, um, for me, my mind started to spiral a little bit. You know, it's kind of like you say, God, why did you have to choose my child? our family out of the two million. And I started to become a little bit angry with God. Um, I felt like I was portraying on God that he was capricious because I felt for, for me, I kind of had statistics and science on my side, but for some reason, the divine and God kind of just overruled that. And for Pastor Chris, you know, he was sharing some of his ailments in his video, too, with his gallbladder. You know, one of the things that I caught on to is he mentioned that he really didn't have any risk factors for acute pancreatitis. He's not overweight. He doesn't drink alcohol. He's not diabetic. And he shared in his video that when he was in the hospital, he did a lot of soul searching, um, you know, how this all came about. It's almost like he set himself up to avoid these things like this, but it still happened to him. But we know that God is not capricious. Um, he didn't just wake up and say, okay, I made two million children. Uh, that one right there has got to have the tumor. Um, it's not like he just said, you know, this guy, Chris Fukunaga, he's got a church going. Let me just see what happens if I push this button and give him acute pancreatitis. So again, the first point I want to make is that steadfastness through suffering um, is to know that our God is not capricious. He, we need to trust in his wisdom. We need to trust in his decision. Um, our suffering did not occur by chance. And as you probably know, going back to Job, at the end of the book, he actually gets a chance to hear the voice of God. Um, and in chapter 38, basically, in summary, what God says to Job and to us as readers is that you guys don't know anything. That, that's based the bottom line of what God says in chapter 38. Um, verse 4 says, where were you when I, God, laid the foundation of the earth? Verse 12 says, who commands the morning since your days began? Verse 16 says, have you, Job, entered into the springs of the sea or walked the recesses of the deep? And verse 22 says, have you entered the storehouses of snow? I I mentioned this a couple of months ago, but that verse, the storehouses of snow, you know, that's a direct uh, relation to the lyric of Chris Tomlin's Indescribable. Um, if you guys remember that lyric, it says, Who has told every lightning bolt where it should go? And seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow. Um, that heavenly storehouses laden with snow, it's not in the Bible anywhere else. It's specific to that verse in Job. And I think for me, when I'm singing that lyric in church, 
my mindset is I'm right here and I'm pushing God's name up higher by saying, God, you are the one who tells every lightning bolt where it should go. You are the one who has seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow. And I'm here, I'm exalting your name, I'm pushing it up. But really, when you look at the verse um, from Job, it's not us talking to God. It's actually God talking to us. And he's saying, I am the one who tells every lightning bolt where it should go. I'm the one who has seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow. I'm exalting my own name as God, and I'm pushing your name down as man. So I think it definitely changes um, the meaning of that lyric when, when you think about it a little bit. So it's basically a rhetorical question that God is asking to exalt his own name. And God, again, God is not capricious. He's all-knowing. And maybe you're in a place where you can't really figure out why you are suffering. You know, maybe you're in a place where you feel like you've set yourself up to have a boyfriend or girlfriend, but God just has not quite pushed that button yet. And it just hasn't happened. Um, it might not be to the same depth of suffering as something you know, as Ali and I are going through, or, you know, who other people are going through, but it's still significant, and I think it's still purposeful. And God is telling you and us that we really don't know anything. You know, our divine, our, our, our worldly desires might be very minuscule to God's divine purposes in the suffering. So again, it's important for us to remember, when we're talking about steadfast new suffering, um, if we don't receive the fact that God is infinitely smarter than us, then you're going to get bogged down by worldly statistics. You're going to constantly have a why me mentality when it comes to suffering. So that's my first point. God is not capricious. Point number two, uh, God uses suffering to open the ears of believers. God uses suffering to open the ears of believers. One of the things that Job struggled with was understanding why he was suffering in the moment, even to the point where at some points during the book, he found death to be more desirable than his current situation of suffering. In Job chapter 6, verses 8 through 9, it says, Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me and that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. So essentially what Job is telling God is that death would be better than his suffering. And I, I think it begs the question, why did God allow Job to suffer? Why does God allow us to suffer? I think if, if, our, if, if we're to believe in a God who is not capricious and he's all-knowing, then it would be a little bit helpful to get a little bit of a glimpse as to why God, uh, what's the purpose of God's suffering. Um, and that's where our Old Testament mystery character comes into play. Okay. So again, you know, you got these 29 chapters of Job going back and forth with his three friends, kind of arguing back and forth. And then at the end of it, we are introduced to this guy. His name is Elihu. Elihu. E-L-I-H-U. And um, you got to be careful because if you're just reading through Job, you're just going to skim right over it. You're going to miss Elihu. You're just going to kind of lump him in to the other three friends and you're going to miss some of his wisdom that he has to say. And he is different than the three friends. I'm here to tell you, he's different than the other three friends. And one of the ways I know that is because one of the first things that Elihu does when he shows up on the scene is that he rebukes the other three guys and says, you guys are giving Job terrible advice. I, I just want to quickly mention Elihu, you know, his, his discussion with Job is a little bit debated among scholars. He doesn't always have the best uh, strategy in talking to Job. He can be a little bit harsh He's young. He can talk out a turn. Um, but overall, I feel like he does have a good message. So let's see what Elihu has to say about the purpose of Job's suffering 
to help him to be steadfast in the suffering. So let's open up to Job 36, 15. Job 36, verse 15. It says, He, I'm talking about God, delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens up their ear by adversity. And then if we go up a little bit to verse 10 and 11 in chapter 36, again, this is Elihu speaking. He says, He opens their ears, he's talking about believers, um, to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity. So twice Elihu uses this phrase, open up their ears during affliction. And this is a little bit of a step further than what the three friends were telling Job for the first 29 chapters of Job. Basically, their message, the three friends to Job, was you need to repent uh, so that you can get out of the suffering. But what Elihu is saying is that the suffering is here for a purpose and it's meant to open up your ears during the adversity. Um, similarly, in Romans chapter 8, it says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And for me, you know, I think um, it was very easy for me to kind of open up my ears during the suffering. Um, things like laboratory tests, MRI results, CT scans, you know, for Emerson, it... it for whatever reason, when you're in it, when you're suffering, they take forever to come back. Um, it's almost as if one hour of waiting amounts to a day when you're in, when you're in the trenches as far as suffering goes. Um, and I think God does that on purpose. He allows time. He affords time for you to suffer so that you can be keen to the Spirit. Um, I remember when I was waiting for Emerson's CT results... I just was spending time kind of taking inventory of my own life, trying to figure out what was truly valuable in life. Um, and actually, when Emerson was in his CT scan, I was in the waiting room waiting, and I think the Spirit talked to me and told me to be a little bit more evangelistic. And during that time when he was in the CT scan, I actually had some real conversations uh, with some of my unbelieving high school friends, too. Um, I think that the Spirit was definitely trying to make it clear as to what was truly valuable in life. Crit shares some similar sentiments in his um, video as well. You know, just waiting in the hospital room. You got these doctors and nurses who are coming in, and sometimes it's hours or days between these visits. And it does give you a little bit of time or a lot of time to kind of refocus and open up your ears to the Spirit. If you think of some of the great books in the Bible and the situations that the writers were in. Um, you think about Paul writing in jail. You think about David in hiding. Um, you think about John, who was exiled onto the island of Patmos. Um, they were all in, situation of, in situations of adversity, and that's when the Spirit spoke to them to write these books as well. So, for you, you know, maybe you're in a time of suffering right now. Maybe your prayer should not necessarily be that the suffering is just over. I think that's the first thing that we tend to go to. Um, maybe your prayer should be to take some time to open up your ears to what the Spirit is teaching you in the suffering. And I think God um, will use that time to help you be keen to the Spirit. So that's my second point, and we'll finish off with my third point. Um, God uses suffering to purify or chasten believers. God uses suffering to purify or chasten believers. The three friends, um, 
they were really relentless with Job. You know, they still believed that he was suffering because he was wicked and sinful. In Job chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, this is Eliphaz speaking, one of the three friends. He says, remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I've seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God, they perish, and by the blast of his anger, they are consumed. So basically what Eliphaz is telling Job is that the righteous will prosper and the wicked will perish. And I think if that sounds eerily similar to some of the false teachings that are going around in our nation or our world, um, you can kind of understand why the three friends were giving such poor advice to Job. But let's come back to Elihu. Okay, Again, he's this mystery Old Testament character. As I mentioned before, one of the first things that he does when he comes on the scene is that he rebukes the other three friends. Um, so let's try to find out what does Elihu say, which is different from what the three friends are saying. Okay, let's turn to Job chapter 33, verses 29 and 30. Job 33, 29 and 30. It says, Behold, God does all these things. He's talking about adversity. Twice three times with a man to bring his soul from the pit that he may be lighted with the light of life. So again, God does all these things twice, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be lighted with the light of life. So do you see the difference here? Elihu presents the idea of suffering is to sharpen or chasten the believer. The, you know, the verse implies that, um, One's faith, you know, it it brings that person's soul from the pit. And I think it's a very common trap to immediately think that when God puts you through suffering, that he's kind of like punishing a sin. Um, But maybe that time is actually being used by God to purify you or to chasten or correct you. A few weeks um, before Emerson got his diagnosis, uh, for me, I had just gotten a nice bonus from work. And with Ali's permission, I decided to start investing in the stock market. And this is the first time I've ever done anything like that in the stock market. Um, and within the first couple of weeks, I just felt like a new type of greed coming about me. Um, it's really hard to be involved in the stock market and, and, and not have that type of greed. I shared it with some of my other friends, one of them who's actually a day trader. Um, And I think when Emerson got his diagnosis, it helped to purify and chasten me when it comes to money. You know, money doesn't really mean a lot when your son might have cancer. And I'm not saying that, you know, if you're involved in the stock market or anything like that, that it's bad. In fact, I still do have some investments. Um, But on the other end of this, you know, after this, well, we're still in the suffering, but I I definitely have a different mindset when it comes to the, the financials. I appreciate Earl a lot as well in the back over there, not paying attention. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, One time during Saturday morning small group, he shared about how his suffering through the pandemic, it helped strip a lot of the idols that he had um, in his his faith. Um, For example, NBA basketball or socializing over board games. I think for him, God used the time of suffering during the pandemic to, to chasten him, um, to purify him of some of those things, to help him be a more loyal believer um, on the end of it. So God uses suffering to chasten 
or purify his followers. It's not always necessarily to punish a sin. And we know that Job was also chastened and purified in this because at the end, in chapter 42, verses 5 through 6, Job says, he basically repents. Job says, I have heard of you, God, by the hearing of the ear, and now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So again, point number three is that God uses suffering to purify and chasten believers. You know, maybe for you in this time of suffering, you might need to let go of some of the sins which are holding you back from maturing in your faith. Um, Remember, for believers, God uses suffering to purify and sharpen, not necessarily always to punish. So try to think to yourself, you know, what is something that God is trying to purify me of in my time of suffering? So again, just to recap, my three points. God is not capricious. He's an all-knowing God who knows what he's doing. We need to trust in his wisdom. Number two, God uses suffering to open our ears to the Spirit. So be keen to it. Don't just pray that the suffering ends. And number three, God uses suffering to chasten or purify his believers. So I do hope that that has given you a little bit of a glimpse of Job's steadfastness in, in his suffering and what we can take away from it as well. And maybe for you, you're thinking, you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, shoot, I actually have a lot to be thankful right now. I'm not necessarily in a time of suffering. Um, definitely not nearly as much as Matt and Allie. Um, unfortunately, I can promise you that the suffering will come. Um, Jesus said in John 16:33 that in this world we will have suffering. And of course, you know the story of him going to the cross and the suffering after that. And to be honest, for me, prior to Emerson's diagnosis... I really did not have that much suffering. Um, Both my parents are alive and healthy. I grew up in the church. I grew up in the faith. I have a really good job with a steady income and a family. And in a lot of senses, I was kind of like just a slice of what Job was um, before his suffering. And I don't say that to be prideful um, or to brag or anything like that. I say that because for me, I felt like I had immersed myself in some of the promises and some of the truths that God had, um, so that when the suffering did come, I had something to grab onto or to cling onto during that. Um, so for you, you know, maybe you're not in a time of suffering, but use this message and this time to kind of prophylactically prepare your heart to have something to cling onto or to grab onto when the suffering does come. I just wanted to close today by going back to the verse in James. Um, because I do feel like it sums up our discussion very well. So this is James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. I'll just read it, and then we'll close in prayer. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. God, um, as your followers, um, we want to have something to cling on to in the suffering. Um, God, is, as your son had promised, it will come to us. And regardless of what season we're in now, God, would you just make those truths and those promises more clear to us so that we will be able to cling to you um, through the waves, through the difficult times, through the adversity. Um, God, would you use your example of Job to be a reminder to us of just how to be steadfast 
and just some of the things that he went through. Um, yeah, God, may we be a church that is steadfast through suffering. So praise things in your name. Amen. Let me invite Pastor Chris up. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. That uh, message was very powerful. Uh, there's a couple thoughts that were going through my mind as Matt was sharing the Word of God with us. One of, a, one of them was, uh, he's, when he was saying that suffering sanctifies you, and I, I know that was true in my life, Matt sees it in his life, and I just want to encourage you that whatever suffering you're going through, um, to choose hope, to choose perseverance over bitterness uh, in your faith, and God will meet you. And the other thought that was going through my mind is I heard a quote one time, and this person said, never trust another believer who doesn't walk with a limp. And what that meant was every believer has, should walk with some kind of limp, some kind of hurt, some kind of suffering that they've gone through. And whenever you meet believers who just are like, yeah, life is in, you know, we want to celebrate with people whose life is going well. That's great. But as a, overall, we, if there's no limp, they haven't really gone to the depths of the faith, like a Paul, like a Job, even at uh, uh, one millionth degree of Jesus, right, and what he suffered. So um, thank you for your candor, Matt. It's, you spoke with authority. You spoke the truth. We were all blessed by that. Uh, I just want to say a brief word before we bring the worship team up here to close uh, during our time. And this is a word on... What's going on with the Disciple Design Lab? As you guys remember, this is a group that we formed. If any of you want to join, come talk to us uh, about what our church is doing in research and development, what we're doing in terms of the future. And there's some exciting developments. I just want to share with you briefly a couple of them. One is about a week and a half ago, I was approached uh, by two different individuals. And these two individuals... Um, sit on the boards of grant foundations. And they both came up to me and basically said, you know what, we see what you're doing in downtown LA. We see what you're doing in Little Tokyo. And we want you, you being City Bible Church, to apply to receive grant funding from our foundation. And both of these foundations give grants up to $40,000. And so, um, you know, we've applied to grants in the past, you know, at my other church. And to have someone from the board come up to you and say, we want you to apply, is a fantastic uh, encouragement. So uh, we're going to be doing that. And that's going to, if that, if God allows that to happen, we're going to use that for really creative outreach. I was talking with Earl about how we can use this for a huge board game tournament here in Little Tokyo. Uh, We're going to... We would use some of that money to fund second day. Maybe we'd rent out, you know, one of the theaters here in Little Tokyo. Um, We would use that for the Little Tokyo tours. There's other uh, really futuristic stuff we're talking about, like uh, getting some land in the metaverse and using that for uh, augmented reality and virtual reality in terms of ministry in that space. So a lot of cool things coming up. And so um, just want to encourage you. Last thing is that we will be uh, starting... And every other Tuesday night, prayer walk here in this little Tokyo Artist District area. That is going to start this Tuesday. In two days, we're going to meet here at the GEMS building 
at 6.30. This will be every other Tuesday night. We're going to go out on a prayer walk in the area, and then whoever wants to can meet us for dinner. So um, let's just continue to pray for this area. I know God will bless us. There are many people I believe God has in these buildings that surround this area, in the wider area of Los Angeles, um, that God wants to align with our path here in this church. And so that's really going to begin with prayer. So again, uh, join us Tuesday, 6.30 here. We'll go on our prayer walk, and then uh, we'll just see what God does over a period of time. Okay, so good things happening. Let's have the worship team come forward, and uh, let's stand together as we close in worship.